Welcome to the All Things Physical Therapy Podcast. This is your host, DPT Steph, your doctor of physical therapy, bringing you all things PT with an interdisciplinary approach so that you can be the best clinician that you want to be. Welcome to the All Things Physical Therapy Podcast. This is Stephanie, your doctor of physical therapy, otherwise known as DPT Steph. And on this episode, we'll be talking with Jake, also a doctor of physical therapy, an athletic trainer, and performance coach. Jake, thanks for joining me today. And to get us started, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I'm an Aquarius. <laughs> um, so my name's Jake. Just whatever you want. Yeah. I'm an athletic trainer, physical therapist, strength coach. I do some teaching, I guess, kind of like part time. I'll be an adjunct professor starting in January at Shenandoah University in their performing arts medicine program. I don't even really know how to describe my job. My job is weird because I treat part-time, but then I also do a lot of like content creation and like backend stuff for our company. So a lot of my job is like building an exercise library, learning how to use things like Photoshop, InDesign, Canva, Final Cut Pro, all that jazz. Just so that we can put together like marketing materials and stuff like that. And then I also run, I guess, three podcasts. <laughs> Two of them are like somewhat successful. One of them is just kind of like a side project that I kind of work on uh, periodically. And I have a cat. His name is Meatball. I love that. <laughs> so you mentioned you work part-time. Do you do any patient care or is it uh, mostly like the content creation? So technically, like I, I work full time from the company that I work for, uh, Pro Physical Therapy in Winchester, Virginia. And <clears throat> I just treat probably three afternoons a week. So it just depends on the week. But I'll see probably around 15 like patients and then a handful of performance clients. Like my patient case wise, it, it's predominantly high school and collegiate athletes. And then just some mix of like, you know, people from the general population, but it tends to be more of an active uh, group just because of my treatment background. And then I also treat pretty much all the dancers, gymnasts, and cheerleaders that come in. And then my training client load is a mixture of dancers, athletes, and I, I have a 69-year-old woman that trains with me. She was once a PT client, but now she's a kind of like a strength and conditioning performance training client. Very cool. So, How did you get into this performing arts type setting or working with these <laughs> patients? I know you mentioned that you graduated um, from, from Shenandoah's performing arts medicine program. How did you even snowball into that? I got guilted into that program, basically. It sounds terrible, but it's, it was actually great. I, I wanted to do a different clinical experience than what I'd been used to. Most of my background was like powerlifting, football, wrestling, you know, like big beefy dudes doing sports. And uh, I was like, well, that doesn't really give me an accurate depiction of the rest of society and the rest of the athletic population that's out there. And so I approached the director of our um, athletic training program after one of our summer classes, because she also heads up the performing arts medicine program at Shenandoah. And I was like, Rose, would it be cool if I like did a clinical with you in the dance AT room? <laughs> and like, could we make it a PT clinical so that it would count for school? And she was like, sure. So she kind of helped me facilitate that. And then from there, 
I just really enjoyed it. It was a very different population than what I was used to treating. And I got a lot of positive feedback from the dancers that I'd worked with uh, from SU's conservatory. And then Rose and Michelle, the associate um, director of the performing arts medicine program there, they were like, hey, we have this program that you can do. It's only like another 15 credits. You'll be fine. Just sprinkle it in there. And I was like, I don't want to pay more loans. <laughs> They're like, but this will be really cool. And it, it's going to give you like a very different um, experience and approach to patient care. And so I was like, why not? I'm already in two grad programs. Might as well throw a third one on there. So I did a DPT, MSAT, and then this like graduate certificate program all at the same time. I just added a program on every year. More now, just add more time, more don't, debt. It's, don't recommend, don't recommend. <laughs> <laughs> but if it's fun and it adds to your experiences, it could be beneficial. Mm -hmm. And so I just have been able, because I still am local in Winchester where Shenandoah is located, I've been able to do a lot of like summertime lab assist stuff with the athletic training program. I've been able to kind of help out as a preceptor, um, occasionally sub for some of the local ATs. And then, like I said, I'll be starting as an adjunct professor, just teaching a strength and conditioning course for mm -hmm. um, performing arts medicine instructors, I believe. Cool. Um, and that'll be in starting in January. So I lead a very, I guess, like weird um, clinical life because it's like part-time at our, at our PT clinic. And then there's a handful of hours a week that I spend treating at the conservatory. So just any dancer, musician, music theater major, that comes in and has any sort of issue. What kind of issues or I guess problems do they, these performing arts people typically come in with and how has your treatment style changed working with them versus working with maybe your more athletic population? I feel like there's like a couple things to unpack there. <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily say that my treatment style changes because like, I mean, as horrible as it sounds, the reality is that with most of my clients, I end up using some sort of a squat, a hinge, pressing motions, like very basic, strength and conditioning principles for rehab. So mm -hmm. I wouldn't say that the treatment necessarily looks different, but I think maybe my mindset, the way that I go about having conversations with people, the questions that I ask and like how we get to the treatment kind of varies depending on the person. And I think there's just like a lot of like very oddly specific questions or things that you would want to look for depending on the performing artists that you work with. And in the case of dancers, like they are very athletic I know some of them would not want to be called athletes, but they're incredible athletes. And so I think for them, it kind of depends on like where they come from, what styles they're used to doing or like genres of dance, um, what their teachers have told them, you know, kind of like what's been beat in their head about like posture and technique. All of that kind of goes into play with how I would approach something, right? Because for a lot of them, they're so focused on so hyper aware of their own bodies and like everything's in a specific position. It has to be perfect. That sometimes like rehab is like the one time that they get to like relax and just do things. So a lot of times I'll get questions like, well, what do I do with my shoulder? What do I do with this? What do I do with that? Like, how do I make sure like I'm in a perfect alignment? I'm just like, I don't care what you do. Just <laughs> do the thing. And then right. we'll like adjust it as we need to. So I think in some cases, it's kind of like a, I guess, like a safe space for them to like, just be not hyper obsessed with a lot of things. Right. That's a good point to make, I think, too. And then also to tie in, I know you like the weightlifting and it's, it's strong men, right? Mm. It's competitions. 
So how does your knowledge from that, or does your knowledge from that tie into your treatment when you work as a PT? I would say that like my, not personal training, but my personal comma training experience um, has definitely like impacted uh, what I do. I think the biggest thing for me is you probably see a lot on social media, like discussions of like, should you flex and extend your spine? Like you should, you know, do this because this is the the perfect posture that you have to lift or like do anything. And the reality is that like, I think strongman is a very good kind of like snapshot or case study microcosm, whatever term you want to use. I think it highlights human resiliency and like what people are capable of doing because one of the most famous events in strongman would be like the Atlas stones, right? Like the just giant people picking up these giant, like concrete boulders and putting them on platforms. Right. And an Atlas stone is a round object. So like how the hell are you going to pick up a round object and not have some sort of spinal flexion? And when you load it, like the technique that you use, you go into a pretty significant amount of spinal hyperextension, depending on what your size and leverages are. And so I think just being exposed to a lot of like odd implements, you know, Atlas stones, sandbags, kegs, Husevel stones, just like all this stuff. Because the nature of strongman is like, how can we do something that is inherently just like dumb? And then how do we add 50 to 100 pounds to it? And that's like every strongman competition. So just being used to like picking up weird stuff, like oddly shaped things and trying to figure out like how to maneuver with them or put them on platforms or like carry them or run around with them. I think it kind of like shows you how capable the human body is to adaptation. And that like, despite the weirdness of like an everyday life task that you're capable of doing it. And that like, as long as you do it and you're prepared for that activity, right? you shouldn't really be focused on like, you know, am I in like perfectly neutral spinal alignment? Like, you know, do I have a slight amount of knee valgus? Like that stuff doesn't really matter. As long as you've prepared for the activity and it's not something that you're like overreaching or overtraining or whatever to achieve, you're not going to have any issues. Yeah. And I think that's a great point to make. It's not necessarily a right or wrong movement. It's more about being prepared for it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, I think in life day to day, like how many times are you picking up weird shaped or not you know, your average box size shaped object from the floor to a table or vice versa. So it's exactly that. I think that's a great segue to also make, because I definitely wanted to touch on this with you, because I know you are like one of my favorite people on social media (laughs) right now, when you're constantly debunking some of the, I mean, for lack of better words, crap that's out there on social media. And I think we learn so much, I think from a new, new grad perspective, we learn so much in school that's very textbook or I guess for lack of better words, an older way of PT thinking. So how as a future new grad or, you know, as a student, do you know what to weed through when it comes to social media, like moving away from these more nocebo type narratives that like these certain positions can hurt you or don't do this or don't do that or make sure your spine's in neutral. So like, what is your best tip for, I guess, kind of using that growth mindset, I guess, from a level up standpoint? (laughs) Uh, That's a hard one. I think when it comes to like my own journey with research, like I kind of go through phases of diving very much into it and, and kind of like not being in it a lot. So like right now, just cause there's a bunch of like family stuff going on in my life. I'm not really like consuming a bunch of research, but I think kind of being in a space like Instagram 
where I'm like surrounded kind of in a, I guess for lack of a better term, like my own echo chamber of people who think similarly to some extent, I do get exposed to quite a bit of research. And like JOSPHT shows up at my door every month and like I look at the article titles, I don't necessarily read them all. I have like discussions with people, I see things posted on Instagram and kind of like try to stay as up to date as possible. I think unless you're someone like Derek Miles, Michael Ray or Amato, it can be like very daunting. So I think for me, the the first thing, well, obviously like surround yourself and engage in discussions and like read stuff on social media. Like if you're involved in that, I think the PT space on Instagram is if you can like find the right accounts can be very, very helpful. But I think there's a couple things. One, I would say like reach out to somebody who you feel is more well-read or smarter than you. And you can do some sort of like informal mentorship or like, ask them for articles. Or if you see somebody discussing an article, just be like, Hey, can I get the citation? A lot of times people will slide into the DMS and be like, Hey, can you email me the article? And it's like, well, I actually, I think did sci get shut down? I'm not sure. Well, most of the time, if they're open access, you can find them on PubMed. Yeah. If they're behind a paywall, sorry, CIA agent who's probably listening to me, you can use SciHub. I think it's still an active account or an active website. Um, but that way you can find stuff that's behind paywalls. So you can typically find like most all the research articles that are being discussed. A lot of times the stuff people post are from like JOSPTs or, you know, like if you want the research article, like you can find a way to read it. But I think that having someone to kind of like, not really guide you, but just kind of like nudge you in some directions or give you some more ideas of like how to explore a topic or things to think about, I think can be really helpful. And that's where I think something like level up can be helpful as well, because you're in like small groups working with a mentor. Um, and they, they kind of focus on more of like the, the soft skills, the intangible stuff. The other thing I would say is just when you're kind of like looking through a lot of these social media pages, I would just think about the stuff that they post. Right. And this one kind of like probably strikes a chord with some of you who are listening, but um, like if you see somebody make a claim that something like yoga pants turns off your core, I feel like you don't need to have a really like in-depth scientific degree or any formal healthcare training to think that that just doesn't make sense, right? Because if yoga pants turns off your core, what happens if you wear like a dry fit shirt? Or I'm gonna say turtleneck. Like compression shorts. Yeah, turtleneck. <laughs> like, does your neck just stop working if you're wearing like a turtleneck? You know, like if you put a weightlifting belt on, is that like making you weaker? It doesn't make sense. If people can lift more weight with a weightlifting belt, why would it be turning off the core? So there's just like a lot of stuff like that. I think a key point to that too is like don't just see like, oh, they have such a big following and they have so many uh, websites and programs and this thing and that thing, like don't get caught up in the flashy stuff because I know I was speaking to someone earlier and they were like, it's most of the time the clickbaity stuff is not the like best stuff that's out there. So don't get caught up in all of that stuff and try to actually, you know, see the people who are using citations and articles and, you know, try to really get to the educational, like deeper side of it. Well, most of the people that are using citations and articles. So I think, I think there, yeah, <laughs> there's sure. like a couple, a couple of things to look at, right? Like obviously like followers does not mean that they have scientific or like clinical credibility, 
when you're like vetting someone or like really trying to dive into their credentials or like what they stand for, what they talk about, I would look at the things that they post, right? Like look at the face value. Like if it's something that just complete BS, if that's like your gut instinct, it probably is. I would look at the way that they describe things. Like do they use um, terms and like, I guess like phrases that would be potentially harmful to someone. Like they, they talk about how like, this is why you're in pain or like, you need to do this one thing. Clickbaity, like one exercise your doctor doesn't want you to know about to get rid of your <laughs> low back pain. Like a lot of that stuff is just to generate like clicks and follows and likes and people subscribing to them, right? But because we see a big following, we just assume that they know what they're talking about, yep. which isn't always the case. You know, like assess it face value. If it sounds like BS, it's probably BS. Look at the language that they use to describe things, because if it's no CPIC in nature, or if they speak in absolutes, a lot of the time, like that's wrong. You know, to quote Star Wars, only a Sith deals in absolutes. <laughs> Look at the way that they interact with their followers, right? Or people that bring up a uh, a conflicting idea or argument. Do they just like bash them? Do they attack their character? Do they engage in like civil conversation regarding that? Because there's plenty of times where people disagree, you know, in the research world. And sometimes, like, it's more in DMs or in, like, private forums, like, clinical athlete. Like, I've seen clinicians go ham on each other, like, just discussing, like, dogma and, you know, methodologies and, like, all sorts of stuff when it comes to, like, literature. And there's people that are very, like, invested in stuff that they've learned because they've put a lot of time and money into it. So they want to believe that that's the way that it is. So I would look at how they interact with people. There are some individuals out there that like, like I had a post recently and they very much were just like, just attacking clinicians that had dissenting views. And so um, I think that kind of says a lot about people's character as well as the quality of what they put out. The other thing I would look for is like, do they have any sort of conflicts of interest, right? Are they partnered with like a particular organization? You know, like, do they work with like FMS or like SMA? they work with rock tape, do they work with Graston? Like all of those things, there's potentially some sort of secondary goal to what they're doing, right? Because if they're employed by those companies or they get some sort of kickback from them, they're probably going to want to tell you that those things are awesome because they're going to get paid for it, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas like other people who just disclose like, hey, I also do training or I do this, or you know, me, hey, I make dumb t-shirts, buy them, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's a very different disclosure or like secondary gain than um than kind of that thing right anytime that there's a, a brand or money involved there's always going to be some other motive so you want to look for people that are like genuine and like you know speak whether or not like they're right about a subject they're going at it as best they can and humble and and have good intentions and just try to be real and admit mistakes and stuff like that I yeah. think that's like one of the things that's really tough about social media is for a lot of people, it's what you want the rest of the world to see, right? And so I think that there's a lot of people who shy away from sharing kind of the hard, scary, gritty stuff about life. And that's one thing that I always personally try to do. And there's probably some people that don't like it and other people that do, but I feel like the more honest and real you are with people, the more genuine of a following that you'll have. And it'll put you in the in the right circles, in my opinion. Absolutely. And I agree with that because I know from even my own platform standpoint, like I always try to tell it like it is. And 
I know I've had a bunch of people in my DMs that are very nasty and then but for every one nasty person I about have about five people also in my DMs telling me how thankful they are that I spoke on the topic. So it's definitely right, like you're not gonna have everybody that's enjoying it, but there are people that are going to actually like be thankful for it in the end. I think that's a huge takeaway. And then like now talking about social media, I don't know if it's, it is now where you like plan to have it when you started out or like, how has it transitioned or how are you planning on growing it to continue? What do you hope to use social media for? Um, honestly, this is going to sound like weird probably. And it's going to reflect that like, I guess like where my intentions come from. So the account that I use, uh, the movement docs primarily, uh, that started because me and one of my best friends, Mike, we were in school together and we were like, Hey, we should do a podcast. And so back in fall of 2017, I was doing a clinical rotation with, with the then Washington Redskins, currently Washington football team. We started a podcast. So like, I think it was like Tuesday or, or Thursday, Thursday nights, I would stay like super late and I'd sit in the, the doctor's office in the training room, close the door. And then we would record stuff. And this was like, I'm not that old, but this will date me a little <laughs> bit. But I mean, like this was back when clinical athlete was first kind of starting to roll around. And so like some of my first guests were like Sam Spinelli back when he had, I don't know, like 10,000 followers. You know what I mean? Jason LePage, just a lot of people uh, that were kind of in that community that like I kind of came up in in like the clinical athlete like student forums and so we kind of tried to do it with that we, we tried to like plan content out and like do all our research and make like you know like grow our social media page and it got to the point that like with him being in school and him being in like Arizona on one of his clinical rotations and then me like starting to work full-time and then just deal with like a bunch of family stuff like it just became too much to handle right so Mike is a person who doesn't like to share a lot of personal stuff. And like, I don't care. Like for me, Instagram is like a sounding board that I can just yell into the void because none of my family follows me. And so like when I have to vent and complain about stuff or like talk about things that, that are like harder subjects that I don't necessarily want my dad to see or like the rest of my family, Instagram is kind of like a place for me to, to do that and express myself. And so because like, I was the one that kind of tended to post more. It's still an account for me and Mike, but I'm the one that uses it like 99% of the time. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I think I've kind of just become synonymous with that account. Um, and then we tried to do like some research stuff. Like we, we made like a website. We made a whole bunch of mistakes. And then I just started making memes because I just needed something fun to do. And so now it's kind of like a meme page and like, I guess there's education sometimes too. Like it's educational because you debunk a couple of the more clickbaity type stuff online, I would say. To be yeah. nice about it. <laughs> I kind of, I'm just like kind of on a crusade against a lot of these like online universities and institutes. But there, it needs to be almost because some people will fall into the trap and not realize it. And I think it's also as, healthcare professionals, we have to hold ourselves accountable and each other accountable to make sure that we are practicing at the top of our license. And I think, you know, we need more people that call these people out and kind of tell it like it is, because that's the only way we're going to move the profession forward. Yeah. 
as far as like like where or like how do I want to grow it or anything like that, I don't use like hashtags or anything like that. I I try to just use like organic growth because I don't really care about how many followers I have. In a lot of conversations, like Amato and I talk about how the closer you are to zero followers, the more meaningful your content probably is. It sounds weird to say that because like people are obviously like if you put out good content and people like you know what you put out like they're gonna grow a little bit but mm-hmm. i think it's just that like it's more of a testament to like not using like clickbaity things and just trying to be like true and, and genuine and so my page is kind of like all over the place it's a mixture of memes there's also like a lot of discussion i guess in my stories about like some of my personal struggles with, like depression anxiety as well as like managing and being like a caregiver for my grandmother and my dad and so there's like I'm sure there's a lot of people that are like, oh, I'm going to follow this page. Ha, funny memes. Like, look, there's like Homelander making a face and then like a funny PT thing. And then they like click on the story and they're like, oh my God. Right. <laughs> but I, I think, like I said, for me, it's a way of, of expression. It's kind of like a, a, a void that I can yell into um, mm-hmm. and not be afraid of what people think about me. And then there's also like, I'm sure a fair bit of like, every once in a while I'll post like research. Like if I go through a research phase, like I'll post like cool articles that I like or... I'll have discussions with people or whatever, but right now it's just kind of like an amalgam of like everything. The way that I describe it is it's kind of like a stream of consciousness of my brain. Not so a bad you, thing. You can see like what shows I'm watching on Netflix or like uh, Amazon Prime based on the content of the memes that I make <laughs> and just stuff like that. So okay. you also said too that like your account really started in 2017, and I think that's it shows something too. So I started PT school the summer of 2016. And I know Instagram was like kind of growing at that point, but I feel like over the three years that I was in PT school, even more so in the past year that I've been a new grad, I feel like PTs on Instagram have just taken off to a whole nother level. And I think that kind of, again, ties into what we need to really be responsible for and make sure that there's no misinformation out there. But I think it also kind of, just to transition a little bit, we had the APTA I've been saying this to everybody, the Vision 2020 that was supposed to happen. So this was 20 years ago that they made this statement in 2000. So going forward from 2020 and now we're picking up a lot of traction on social media and trying to use it a little bit more. Where do you see the PT profession, whether it's 5, 10, 15, or 20 years going in the future? I've got no idea. (laughs) (laughs) I have no. But where no. do you hope for it to go? I mean, I, I hope that a lot of these like deep-seated kind of somewhat harmful beliefs that we have change, right? And I think that that will happen. And I mean, like this kind of sounds like morbid or mean, but like as the older population kind of leaves uh, the PT world and like our generation starts kind of taking over more in like the academic spaces and in like leadership positions in clinic and like our organizations on a a state and national level. I think that's where we're going to see change, right? Like you can certainly make a ton of impact on an individual level. And I think social media is like a really good testament to that because you can interact and connect with people from literally all over the world, right? Like same thing with like the podcast. Like when I go back and look at our movement docs podcast, like, listens and stuff like every couple months I'll like go back because we haven't done anything with that podcast right we went from I think 2,000 listens when we had like stopped recording it and like I checked like 
last year sometime and we were over like 10,000, right? Like we've literally had done nothing to that podcast in like two and a half years. And there's like people in like Mumbai and like Australia that listen to that stuff. And like I've listened to multiple episodes and it's just like, it doesn't make sense to me. Right. But like, if you put stuff out there, your chance of reaching somebody on an individual level is very, very high. And I think if we, it's kind of like the movie pay it forward with Haley Joel Osment, right. You know, like your impact, if you make a small impact in someone's life, like that change can be felt for, you know, so many other people. And I think it's like that with our patients too, right? Like, I guess like my goal when I work with a patient is like, I want to do such a good job at like being your therapist that I ruin you for everybody else that works with you. Right. Like I want to ruin your perception of like what healthcare should look like and how healthcare professionals should treat you. And so that like, if you leave my clinic after working with me or anybody else in my clinic and you go somewhere else that you go, damn, this isn't the same, right? Like this just doesn't feel right. And that's that's like, that's my goal, right? I don't care about like the techniques or whatever. I care more about being a good human and making a positive impact in your life. And so like, that's always my goal working with everybody. It's just like, I'm going to do such a good job that when you leave from this like ACL reconstruction rehab, 10 years down the road, if you ever have to go back to PT, you're going to be like, why aren't you using like weights? Why am I not running around? Why am I not like doing active stuff? Why are you not asking me like hard questions? Yeah. That's the stuff that I feel like I can make an impact with. And I think that that's, that's what we can do in the meantime, you know? Yeah. And, I think that's a huge takeaway for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something like just the way that you said it and presented that idea is just like, I felt that like, I want to start using that kind of mindset with my patients. And I think that's a huge 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 point to like put it on a billboard somewhere because that should be like telling you how big of an impact that you are or like want to make on your patients I think that's superb so great I want to also touch on a little bit what are some of the projects that you are working on I want to talk about the t-shirt because I just discovered that when you posted about it and I think that's so dope and then I know you also wanted to start another podcast so if we want to like kind of talk about that a little bit so I already mentioned the first one uh it's the the movement docs podcast and that was one that I started with my buddy Mike um in 2017 uh we haven't really done anything with that for a while we did do like a small second season, but I think we've got like 40-ish episodes. We talked with like a lot of people like Zach and Steph, Motto, names that you would recognize if you're around like the PT social media sphere. But we haven't done anything with that in a long time. And then during quarantine and lockdown this year, because I have a heart condition and had to stay home for a long time, I've wanted to do this for a while, but uh, myself and one of my good friends, uh, Danielle Farzanigan, made a podcast called Don't Break a Leg. And it's all about like working with performing artists. So it's kind of got like more of a dance slant to it just because like typically if you see like a performing arts PT, like that's what like most people kind of gravitate to. But we're trying to expand more into, you know, like music, musical theater, stuff like that. And so my goal with that, because I I have more of a strength and conditioning and kind of like sports background, and Danielle was a collegiate dancer and 
had considered going pro, but then ended up going to PT school. And so I think that was kind of a, a nice blend of like, almost like our two worlds. And that was kind of like, I guess the vision that we had for it. That one, like I said, is called Don't Break a Leg. We talked to like a lot of cool people that you would probably recognize from being in the social media spaces. Like Ellie Summers was on there. Um, Claire Zai from Claire Barbell Medicine. She was bullseye strength. Jenna Cantor, that might be a name that you guys recognize. Mm-hmm. Um, just a whole bunch of people we've had yeah. on there. And then I started another one, uh, which is kind of like a side project. It's not as frequent. I think I only have a couple episodes out, but it, I need to have like five before iTunes will pick me up, I think. And so it's on Spotify though. Uh, that one's called Second Rate Sunsets. And it's about like kind of trying to find meaning amidst the struggle of having like depression or anxiety. And the title comes from a lecture that a Stanford professor, uh, Dr. Uh, Sapolsky did. He's the guy that wrote Why Zebras Don't Have Ulcers and mm-hmm. some other kind of like books. He kind of talks about how depression is like the worst disease in human history. Uh, he has a more eloquent way of saying it. But basically it's a condition where you can no longer appreciate the beauty of a sunset. And so that's where the title comes from. And then I also, <laughs> because during lockdown, I took a whole bunch of like courses on the business and stuff like that um, because I have more of a, like an admin role in my company and I'm trying to do a bunch of backend stuff. I started a small business where I make dope t-shirts for people that like animals and like to lift. It's called Basket of Cuddly Puppies Strongman. <laughs> it's a counterculture and kind of like novelty t-shirt thing. So they're all designs that I make. I don't draw all the pictures but I do like the assembly and the horrible like photoshopping. I make it look like it's part of the aesthetic. Like I make it kind of like poorly photoshopped in some situations, but it's like all just designs that I make. And uh, I think 3% of all proceeds goes back to like animal rescue and options to support. Nice. So very cool. Lots of good things. Yeah. I'm all over the place. Not a bad thing at all. So I've been asking everybody this, what are some, fun like outside of work things that you okay so you had your side projects but outside of those side projects what have you done over the past eight plus months when we've been in quarantine I'm trying to think uh I'm a big board game person nice and I'm also like a huge nerd so like when I say that like that expands to a very wide variety of things what kind of board games so I will own anyone in Settlers of Catan no, um, I'm, also, I'm very competitive in that game. Very competitive. Yeah, I've got the OG like game of the year 1997 edition. Whoa. So, nah, I've been playing that for like, <laughs> how old am I? 23 years probably. But Sellers of Catan's a big one. Uh, we play like a whole bunch of stuff. Like me and my friends are like super nerdy. So it's going to be like anything on the tabletop. Um there's a really crazy game called Twilight Imperium that probably takes about 36 hours to play. Wow. Axis and Allies uh, is another kind of like large scale game. Because I love comic books, Mike actually turned me on to this because one of his CIs bought it for him. It's the DC deck building game. So there's like a lot of like deck building board games. Like we played like Harry Potter ones and stuff like that. But this one is like a, it's like a DC. So like Superman batman aquaman wonder woman like all them uh and you just like make like a deck of 
cards and you don't have to play the game but it's like super fun i've got like four different versions of that um yeah i'm a big board game person and then like you know your pop culture shows netflix disney plus hulu i'm really sad because my former classmates older sisters hbo go account finally got taken off of my Uh. playstation and my former roommate's family's hulu account no longer works so you know darn gotta get new friends <laughs> i know yeah or you just have to pay for them I'm too cheap or pay for it yeah. <laughs> all right before we wrap up any final tips that you have for students currently going through covid zoom online learning times or getting um, potentially back in the clinic i guess the big thing like ultimately and this is just a lesson that like i've been learning is when you go through like school and you're going into like a healthcare profession, right? Like it's very easy for us to constantly think about how do we care for other people? And I think sometimes it's really hard for us to care for ourselves. And especially in like a situation like COVID where we have like, you know, lockdown going on and stuff like that. Um, I think it's really important to make sure that you take time for yourself, you know, and that, that is just like a general thing, but I think it's especially true when you're going through things that are challenging, like, you know, PT school, when you're first like breaking in as a new grad, a lot of those things can be daunting and there's a pretty decent rate of like burnout for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's really, really important to take care of you, you know, physically, mentally, and just make sure that you take care of yourself. Cause if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of other people. Exactly. Great point to have. Um, make sure you take time for yourself. The whole burnout thing, I mean, that's a whole other topic we could spend hours talking about. But I think <laughs> it's super important now more than ever to take care of yourself, lean on other people, know that you're not alone, know that you matter, you're going to get through it, it's going to get better. Yeah, I think that's a, a great little final note there for people going through this tough time. But I just want to say thank you, Jake, for coming on. This has been awesome to chat with you. Uh, You can find Jake um, on Instagram. He has several accounts. Do you want to let the the people know what they are? Um, So for like average to low quality PT-based memes, um, that would be TMD underscore the movement docs on Instagram. Uh, My personal page, which is mostly just lifting, is not a real Dr. Deadlift. For my lifting friends out there, it's a kind of a spoof on Kyler Woolham's account, which is Dr. Deadlift, and the fact that a lot of people say that PTs aren't real doctors. <laughs> and then you could find my like humorous animal slash lifting based apparel at Basket of Cuddly Puppies Strongman. And the website is also the same www.basketofcuddlypuppiesstrongman. I love it. And then if you, if you want the podcasts there, Don't Break a Leg is on Spotify, Instagram, Google Play, pretty much everything. The Movement Docs is not on Spotify because we hosted through SoundCloud and at the time they didn't integrate. So they're on iTunes and then pretty much everything else. And then Second Rate Sunsets, I think right now is just on Spotify because I don't have enough episodes to get it on other places. So Perfect. And yep. there you have it. So thank you again, Jake, for coming on. Uh, And you guys know where to find him if you have any questions or want to slide into his DMs. Well, as always, this was the All Things Physical Therapy podcast. Thanks for tuning in and stay tuned for more episodes to come. Thanks, Jake. No problem. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the All Things Physical Therapy podcast. Make sure to leave a review and subscribe to stay updated on new episodes. You can find more episodes like these on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And to stay up to date, follow dpt.steph on Instagram or go to www.dptsteph.com.